It's good to be back. If, if you guys haven't been in, um, in one of our services, it's a little bit like being at a TV show right now. So it's, uh, it's kind of all geared towards you guys listening on the live stream right now. So it's awfully dark in here, and there's uh, smoke in here, and I can't see anybody that's standing out here. But uh, um, if you haven't been to a live service, I know Joel said uh, that they, they've been selling out pretty quick. So I think it's Mondays they go, uh, uh, they're available for you to book. Um, these guys are pretty quick uh, on the phones, booking. I think it's the same group that was in here last week, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, but uh, I really encourage you, if you haven't been back to a live service, I am, I am, I've been back a couple of times now, I will say, and I was very struck by... Uh, it's hard for me to connect sometimes through the TV screen uh, and through the computer screen. Uh, but I was standing there during worship, and it, uh, it wrecked me a little bit. It's, um, it's really good to be back and be live here. So thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's always good to be standing up here. I, um, I was happy to be invited back. I, I think the sign was that an angry mob did not burn the building down the last time that I spoke. So I always take that as positive feedback. And I am happy to be back. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about failure. And we're going to talk about lessons that we can learn from failure. Ha a question for you, first of all. I know all you people, obviously, on the live stream uh, or on social media, because that's how you're connecting with us right now. But how many of the people here in the building uh, are on social media? How many of you have a social media account? Good. Yeah, first two people put up their hands. And now it's more. Now it's everybody, right? I, you know, one of the things that I'm struck with, you know, I have a social media account. I don't post an awful lot. I'm one of those people that goes on social media to see what other people are doing. Um, other people, it's always the same, isn't it? You, you see all their successes and highlights on, on social media, don't you? It's like a highlight reel of what you've done with your life. And, um, you know, we love talking about our successes. And for those of us that are a little bit older, we know that that is not a concept that is necessarily just new with social media. People have been doing that for generations, right? Whenever we get together, we like to talk about our successes. We like to talk about the great things that our kids are doing. We like to talk about the trips that we've been going on. And we like to talk about the good things that are happening in our life. You know, historically, you can look back and you travel at all. You see that um, there's lots of monuments to success in the world, right? There's statues all over the place to success. There's buildings that have been erected to success. But we like to talk about our success, but we don't like to talk about our failures quite as much. Failures are painful, right? Failures can be painful. They can be embarrassing. They are much harder for us to talk about. Um, and I was thinking this week about my own personal failures that I've had in my life, and um, there were plenty. Uh, from a spiritual perspective, a you know, relational perspective, a business perspective. I remember, I know Pastor Barry's very honest about this, and he talks about this, that um, he, he got fired from a job early on in his career. Uh, that happened to me as well. I, I got fired from a job, and I would love to say that it was at the beginning of my career, but it wasn't. It was about 10 years ago. Uh, and I was already well-established in my career. I work as a project manager in the IT world. And I was working for a client in Burnaby, and we were developing a new piece of software for them to use to run their business. And the, um, the project wasn't going great. It was, 
we were a little behind schedule in terms of what we had originally anticipated, and because of that, the client was paying more money than they had originally anticipated and originally budgeted. And the results that we were getting from the software weren't fantastic. Uh, but we carried on, and I went to work one day, and I thought it was kind of just like any other day, and I showed up at 8.30, and I sat down at my desk, um, and the vice president of the organization called me into her office, and she said, with a couple other guys there with me, and she said, listen, this just isn't working out, and we're going to make a change. I need you guys to pack up your stuff. You're done here. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, I walked out of the office unemployed. And, uh, you know, when that happens to you, there's a flood of emotions that go through you. I remember th I was totally unprepared for that. I did not see it coming. So I was shocked, was kind of the, the, the main emotion that I had. But I was also embarrassed that I had kind of let it get to that point, and now they were letting me go and people watched me as I had to walk out of the office. I was sad. Um, I was angry uh, at, why didn't this person do this differently? How could they treat me like that? And I, I was fearful for the future. I, I had a wife and three kids at home that I was supporting, and I was suddenly unemployed. And it took me a while to work through that and get over that. Um, I remember thinking, it's, it's kind of funny, I remember it was maybe a year later and I thought, oh, I've worked through this, right? I, I'm, I'm good with this now. And I was at the mall and I saw the vice president that fired me, like across the mall. So she didn't see me, but I saw her. And I thought that I was, like I said, I thought I'd worked through all this. And I was, instead of being filled with the love of Jesus in my heart, I was filled with an overwhelming sense that I would love to walk over to her and choke her. <laughs> I, uh, and apparently, I hadn't quite worked through all my issues that I had of getting fired that day. So I'd like to think, I haven't seen her since, I'd like to think that I've worked through all those issues now, but I guess the real test is, is whether I saw her again. But, you know, as I worked through some of those issues, it was a really good learning experience for me. I, I look back on that now, and I think, boy, if I was, it was a difficult project, but if I was on that project again, here's what I would do differently. I would organize the team in this way instead of the way it was organized. I would deal with the vendor this way instead of the way that I did it at that time. And I would write my contract differently so that they couldn't just fire me on the spot. But I learned a lot from that failure, and I, you know, I think that's, that was the good lesson that I took out of that, was I think that we all have failures in life, but there's an ability for us to, to learn from them and to grow from them. I'm a better project manager now than I was back then, and I'm better now because of that happening to me. It didn't feel good at the time, but I am better because of it. So, so we are going to, it kind of brings us to our big idea. Uh, failure never feels good but it can be a good teacher, I would say it could be a great teacher, to prepare us for the work that God has for us. Okay, one of the things that I appreciate about the Gospels, and we're going to continue our study of Mark this morning, uh, we're going to look at Mark 9. One of the things that I appreciate about the Gospels is that the writers of the Gospels didn't whitewash the Gospels, 
right? They didn't think, oh my goodness, people are going to be reading this for the next 2,000 years. I better just put the good stuff in there and omit all the bad stuff. They didn't do that. There's many examples in there of failures that the disciples had as they were growing in their faith and their maturity. So, we are going to take a look, if you've got your Bibles uh, and want to open them, we're at Mark 9 this morning, starting at verse 14. And what, um, actually, I'll give you before, I'll read this to you, but before we go through this story, I'll give you a bit of feedback, or a bit of uh, background. Right before this story in Mark 14, Jesus has taken Peter, James, and John, kind of the big three of the disciples, and the four of them have gone up a mountain, and he's experienced the transfiguration. So Jesus kind of takes on the glory that he's voluntarily set aside to live as a man, and his clothes go shining white, and Elijah is there, and Moses is there, and it's a, you know, a literal mountaintop experience, but it is a mountaintop experience for Peter, James, and John. So that has happened at the beginning of chapter 9. And what's happened is that the other nine disciples, so kind of all the disciples that you forget what their names are, those guys are doing ministry on their own without Jesus and without Peter, James, and John. And so we pick up in Mark 9, verse 14, Jesus and Peter, James, and John are just rejoining the other disciples Um, And that's where the story picks up. So verse 14, and when he came to the disciples, when Jesus came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Another version says that they were arguing with each other. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? What are you guys arguing about? And one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son, who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. They failed. And then Jesus goes on, and he has a conversation with the Father, and he says, uh, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you, and how long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to him, and when, the, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And he has often thrown, them into the, thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, with great emotion, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, but I still have unbelief. I'm conflicted. Help me. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to a deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when, and when he had come into the house, so sometime later, the ministry session is over. They go back to the house where they're staying at. His disciples came to him and asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so he said to them, this kind can come out 
by nothing but prayer and fasting. He said, it can only come out if you're prayed up and you're fasted up. So, you know, I, I always say kudos to the disciples, um, to the other nine. The, I call it like the lesser nine disciples that, um, you know, they, they could have said, well, Jesus and the big three are off doing their thing. Uh, I guess we'll take a break. But they didn't. They engaged in ministry on their own. Um, it didn't go real well. But, um, uh, you know, God, God calls us, God has a plan for your life. Let's put it that way. God has a plan for your life. Each person sitting in here, each person that's listening this morning, God has a plan for your life. And that plan involves you continuing to grow and mature in every area of your life. So growing and maturing not only spiritually, but also personally in your personal relationships, with your interactions with other people, uh, at work, how you handle yourself at work, how you manage your business. He cares about all areas of your life, and he's always looking for you to grow in all areas of your life. Um, but the problem is that with growth comes failure because this is how human beings learn, right? We learn by, I'm going to try something new, I'm potentially going to fail and make mistakes, and then I'm going to learn from those mistakes and move forward and be better the next time. Right? I remember, you know, Zach and Zoe are here with me this morning, but I remember, specifically, I remember Eliana, uh, my oldest, starting to learn to walk. And you know how toddlers, when they learn to walk, they start by kind of pulling themselves up on the coffee table, and they kind of stand there, and then eventually they'll take a step, and eventually another step. I, can, I distinctly remember Eliana learning to walk, and she would pull herself up on the coffee table, and she'd kind of take one step, and she'd take another step. And then you know how toddlers do that thing where they go to take a step, but they never put their foot on the ground? And they kind of do this one. And she did one of those, and she smacked her head on the coffee table, and then she went down on the floor crying. And I laughed and laughed, and no, I didn't laugh. But um, I, I, you know, but toddlers are great because toddlers, unlike adults, they don't feel, fear failure the way we fear failure, right? So two minutes later, Eliana, once she's done crying, picks herself up, tries it again, and tries it again, and keeps going until eventually they walk. It's a good thing that toddlers do not think the way that adults think, right? Because if toddlers thought the way adults thought, they would have thought, well, you know what? I tried that walking thing once. It wasn't really for me. So I'm not really doing that again. Or I'm not, I don't think I'm gifted at walking. So I tried it, but you know, I didn't have any success, so I'm gonna stop. But you know, close your ears, toddlers, if you're listening on the live stream. But toddlers are dumb, right? Like toddlers are stupid, so thank goodness they are because they can just put that aside and they can try again. And this is how human beings learn. And um, you know, God, God is not afraid of our failure. Right? God is not afraid of our failure. He, um, I think sometimes He even sets us up to fail. And I, I don't mean that He purposely wants us to fail, but He does want us to grow. And, you know, the question I would have for you is, do you, do you think, if you look at this story in Mark, do you think Jesus knew that these other disciples hadn't prayed enough and hadn't fasted enough? 
Of course he did. He spent every day with them. He knew that they had not been praying at the level he'd been praying at. They know he, they had not been fasting at the level he'd been fasting at. And he knew that eventually there was going to come a time when they did ministry that they weren't going to be able to do what they were going to be asked to do because they weren't prepared to do it. But they needed to learn. So I think God sometimes allows us to fail because it propels us forward on our growth, which is ultimately what he wants from us. So um, I, I think sometimes the the temptation with learning and failing and learning and failing is that because failing feels terrible, we tend to avoid it, right? So we, we tend to say, I, I don't want to put myself in a position that I'm going to fail. I was, um, I was talking with Pastor Barry a couple of weeks ago, and we are talking about the fact that um, I'm 50 now. So I turned 50 last year, and he said 50 was a very pivotal age for him because he said once you get to 50, You've learned enough in life sometimes that if you wanted to, you could coast, right? He said as a pastor, studying all those years up until he got to 50, he'd learned so much that he could potentially just um, preach sermons based on the knowledge he already had. Um, and I think we all have that temptation in life that at some point we just decide, grow, 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 grow. Oh, you know what? I'm sick of this failing occasionally. I'm just going to coast. Um, but what I appreciated from that conversation with Pastor Barry was that he said when he turned 50 is when he started writing books. And when he turned 50 is when he started traveling internationally to do missions. And he took on new things, and he was committed to keep growing in areas even though he could have just coasted. And I think that's a great lesson. I, I will remember that for a long time um, uh, because I, 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 I do think that, you know, when you look at Pastor Barry's life, probably there's been times where he's failed or had disappointments in his writing career, in his missions career. He probably does missions differently now than he did when he was 50 because he's learned things along the way. He probably writes better now than he did when he wrote his first book because he's had more experience. But he made a decision that he was going to keep growing rather than coasting. Uh, and I think that is, that, that is a good, uh, I think it's a good example for all of us. And I, um, I appreciated that from that conversation with you. So, uh, I, Because it's important that we keep growing because ultimately God wants to bring you into a destiny and that destiny impacts other people, right? Your destiny impacts other people. The, you know, Pastor Barry writes now and he travels now and that's impacted thousands of people that wouldn't have been impacted had he decided just to coast. You know, I... I hesitate to think of what would happen or what would have happened in Mark chapter 9 if this scenario had happened after Jesus had already ascended back into heaven. What if this desperate father had brought his son for healing to the disciples and they hadn't learned the lesson and Jesus wasn't there to bail them out? That poor kid wouldn't have got healed. He wouldn't have got healed. The disciples needed to move into their destiny to be able to do what it is that, that God had called them to do because other people desperately need that in their lives, right? And it's the same with you guys, that um, 
God has called each one of you to a destiny that's going to involve you learning and failing along the way to grow into that destiny, but the world desperately needs what it is that you and only you can provide to it. What you and only you can provide to the world. And God is waiting for you to move into that destiny to bless those people. So that like that father, like that son, after an interaction with you, they walk away healed. They walk away whole. They walk away better than it was when they first met you. So it's important that we keep growing. I, um, okay, so that was lesson number one. Lesson number one, uh, failure is part of the growth process. So let's move on. Lesson number two, when you fail, you got to be careful whose opinion you listen to. When you fail, you need to be careful whose opinion you listen to. The reason is that not everybody out there can see what God is doing in your life. Not everybody out there has the insight into what God's plan is for you better than you and God. Um, and we look at, you can look at this example in Mark and you can see the kind of reaction that the disciples got. The disciples were on the learning curve and they were learning. But, you know, the first interaction they had with, with, was with the scribes. So with the teachers of the law who are kind of following them around. The scribes are kind of like those people that are in your circle, but they're not really for you, right? Maybe they're, maybe they're jealous of, you know, the new areas that you're moving into. Maybe they don't agree with the new areas that you're moving into and learning in. But the scribes, as soon as they saw failure, they were on it like that. And they said, mm, you bunch of clowns, I knew you couldn't do that. Soon as your master goes away, you guys are a big bunch of failures. Why don't you give it up? This is ridiculous. That's the first, the, the first sense of feedback that the disciples got when they failed. And there will be people around you that when you try to better yourself, will say, why are you doing that? Why are you working out? Why do you bother? Why, why are you trying this new business venture? Why would you do that? It sounds kind of dumb. Why don't you just stick with what's safe? Why don't you coast? Why, why are you branching out into new ministry opportunities? Why are you trying to pray for people to be healed? Why don't, why don't you give that up? It's ridiculous. There will be people like that. And the problem is they can't see what God sees, right? The feedback they're giving you is not consistent with the way God thinks about you. So be careful who you listen to when you get feedback. But, but what about our friends? What about the people who are close to us? What about the people that are supposed to have our backs? So how did Peter, James, and John react to the disciples' failure? Well, this story doesn't tell us how Peter, James, and John reacted. But if you look four verses later in Mark, you'll see that the very next story in Mark is the disciples are now all back together and they're walking along the road to their next destination and they're arguing amongst themselves. And they're arguing amongst themselves as to who is the greatest. Now, I don't think that all 12 of them are arguing about who is the greatest because Peter, James, and John have just come off a mountaintop experience at the Transfiguration. And the other nine disciples have just come off a massive ministry failure that ended in chaos. I think what happened is that Peter, James, and John are arguing about which one of them is the greatest, 
and they're saying, the rest of you clowns, I can't even believe we call you disciples. We leave you alone for one day, and you can't do anything right. I don't think they were super supportive, to be honest, of the other disciples. Now, that's my opinion. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But I think that they weren't super supportive. We know kind of what their personalities are like also from other areas of the Bible. And I don't think that they were the kind that took the other nine aside and said, geez, guys, really appreciate you guys trying to hold down the fort uh, while we were gone. Uh, you did your best. I'm sure you'll do better next time. I don't think it was like that at all. I don't think the other nine disciples got a whole lot of support from the, from the other disciples. But what about people who generally do have your back? What about people who generally, like, truly are your friends? Sometimes you still need to be careful what you listen to. You know, I'll take the example of Job in the Old Testament. And if you, if you know the story of Job, Job was being tested uh, by Satan. Satan was putting him through the ringer. So he, Satan went to God, said, let me test your servant, Job. God said, I have a lot of confidence in Job. Go ahead. And Satan really put him through the ringer. So his, his family was killed, his business was killed off, and he got horribly sick. And while he's in the midst of this, this trial, this learning experience, his three friends come to him, and these are genuine friends, and they sit beside him, and they say, Job, we genuinely love you, and we want to help you. And they say, listen, Job, we know that bad things don't happen to good people. So there must be some sin in your life somewhere, and if you just repent of that sin, I'm sure everything would clear up in your life. Terrible advice in that scenario. That is not what was going on with Job. But they were really well-meaning in their advice to say, listen, we really think this is what's going on. It was not consistent with what God thought. God addressed Job at the end and said, that wasn't it at all. It's, it's to do with my sovereignty and understanding that I am God and you are not. But it had nothing to do with hidden sin in Job's life. Uh, but his, his poor friends gave him some bad advice. So I would say always be careful who you listen to if you've gone through failure. Because even sometimes the most meaningful of people will not, will not reflect what God's thoughts are on that situation. Okay, so lesson number three. Let's move on. Failure should force us to look inward and take personal responsibility. This is a tough one. Um, because... I don't know if you're anything like me, but when things go wrong in my life, traditionally the first thing I like to do is blame somebody else. Oh, you know, when I got fired, it was, why, why didn't they do this? Why, why didn't management manage people better? Why didn't this vendor do a better job at coding the, the software? We look we look for somebody else to blame. I learned a really good lesson a few years ago. I struggled with that for a while, and I learned a lesson uh, a few years ago from a book that I read, actually. And it said, listen, there's only one person in this world that you can control, and that's yourself, and that's it. And that's tough when you're married, because I struggle all the time with, if I wish I could control the way my wife talks. I wish I could control the way my wife acts, but it doesn't work that way. I don't control my wife. I only control me. When you're a parent, it's difficult again. You, there's a horrible realization in my life that I don't control my kids. I can, 
I can give them my advice, I can teach them, I can guide them, I can lead them, I can help them to experience consequences of different decisions that they make, but I don't control them. And that's, the reason for that is because God has given you a free will, uh, and God has created you to be that way, and He's created each one of us to be in control of our own lives. And I think when we, when we have failure in our life, the, really the only question we can ask is, what, what could I do differently next time? How, how could I act differently? And uh, I think in Mark, the disciples did a really good job of that, to be honest. The disciples, after kind of the dust had settled, they came back to Jesus and they said, what could we have done differently in that situation? They didn't blame, blame the scribes. Oh, there was an air of unbelief because of these scribes being around. We couldn't do anything because of them. They didn't blame the father. Oh, he should have brought us earlier before the kid got to such a terrible state. They didn't blame the kid. Oh, my goodness, probably some sin in your life for this to happen. They didn't blame anybody else. They said, what could we have done differently? I think that's a great lesson for all of us. Anytime we have failure in our life, it's the only person we need to look at is us. It's the only person we have control over. It's the only person we can change. It's the only person that can do things differently the next time. What could I do differently? And we'll come to our last lesson, lesson number four. And I think this is probably the most important one. Every time we fail, God uses our failure as an invitation to press into Him for the truth. He uses it as an invitation. He doesn't force His way into our life. He's not going to come to you. Jesus didn't go to the disciples after the failure and say, hey, listen, if you just do this, you'd be more successful. He didn't do that. He waited for the disciples to come to Him. It was an invitation. Every time we fail, it's an invitation for us to press deeper into the heart of the Father and understand what His thoughts are. And it's, uh, it's not up to us to try and figure it out on our own either, right? That is not what God is saying. He's not saying to you, listen, you failed, you better figure it out. I'm terrible. I say that to my kids all the time, right? You failed, well, figure it out. Figure it out. It's not how God works. He doesn't ask us to figure it out on our own. What He does is He invites us to come to Him to get the answers. He invites us in. And the great thing about God is when He invites us in, and this, this is probably, I felt like this was the most, I don't want to say powerful thing, but I feel this is what people need. Some people really needed to hear this, was God is able to separate our failure from who we are. He's able to separate what we've done from who we are. God will say to you, you failed. God will be very direct with you. He's not afraid of the truth. Jesus said to the disciples, you needed to pray more and you needed to fast more, and then you would have had success. He was very direct with them. But at no point did He say to them, you are failures. God says, you failed. Satan will whisper, us, whisper to us, you are a failure. That you are a failure is always the voice of Satan whispering to you. Because when God says you have failed, He will provide you 
with an avenue out of it. There's always answers. There's always an open door. There's always an open window to move forward. He said to the disciples, if you prayed more and you had fasted more, then you could drive out a demon like this. There's the answer. There's a road for them to follow. There's a path for them to walk on. Satan will say to you, you are a failure. Yeah, your marriage broke up. Uh, you're a failure when it comes to relationships. Dead end. There's no, more, there's no way forward. It's just a dead end. You got fired from that job? Yeah, because you're a terrible employee. You're a failure. No one's ever going to hire you again. Dead end. You prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed? Yeah, that's because you're a failure at ministry. Dead end. There's nowhere to go. But God doesn't give us that message. He always provides the way out for us. He always provides the way forward for us. He always provides the answers to us when we come to Him. He does not expect us to just sit and stew and figure it out on our own. So, you know, when we talk, when we talk application, I think, um, I think the question is really, where are you failing in your life right now? Where do you see failure in your life? And what is your response to it? And I think that's an honest question that we have to ask ourselves, right? We have to be able to reflect on our own life and say, where, where am I not doing my best? Where am I not achieving what God has for me? Is it, is it in my spiritual life? Is it in my personal, my interpersonal reactions? Is it my marriage? Is it how I'm parenting my kids? Is it how I'm interacting with my friends and people around me? Is it in my business world? Should I be doing a better job as a business owner? Should I be doing a better job as an employee where I work? Where, where, am, I, where am I failing? Where am I, not, where am I not achieving to what God has asked me to do? And go to Him for answers on that. Lord, would you show me? I pray that all the time. I, I am, I, I'm a moron, let's be honest, right? Like, I, I go to the Lord all the time and I say, would you just show me because I can't figure this out on my own. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to move forward. Would you show me? And then I stop talking and I listen. Would you show me? And I think if you take some time this week just to assess the areas of your life. I mean, obviously COVID in the last year and a half has thrown all sorts of things uh, into the washing machine and throw them and mixed them all together. And it's kind of a bit of a mess where we are right now. But Sit down and assess where you're at. How have I handled that? Have I handled it well? Have I handled it poorly? If I handled it poorly, what could I have done better? Would you show me, Lord? And conversely, I think if, if you don't have a lot of failure in your life right now, the question to ask is, am I, am I coasting? Have I stopped learning? Is there an area I've stopped learning in? Have I, have I plateaued in my spiritual life? I've kind of got to a certain level and I'm, I'm just fine sitting there. Have I plateaued in my marriage relationship or my kids, uh, parenting my kids? I, I'm, it's good enough and that's what I'm going to do? Or are you continually looking to move forward? Are you looking to move forward in your business life? Or are you saying, hmm, I know my job, I'm just going to do it and I'm just going to keep going? Questions to ponder, I think, this week. I'll, uh, I'll leave you with this. Um, J.K. Rowling, who you probably know, is um, the author of the Harry Potter series of books. Uh, J.K. Rowling, before she became famous and wealthy, 
uh, really had a lot of failure in her life. She was divorced. Her personal life was in shambles. Uh, she had committed, uh, filed for bankruptcy, and she was living on welfare when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. And she wrote that first book, and she took it to um, 12 different publishers. And every single one of them told her, it's garbage, we don't want it, it's no good. And she finally found a publisher that agreed to publish the book for her. But even that publisher gave her a word of advice that said, you really need to find a job because there's, there's really no future for you in children's literature. Well, she's a billionaire now. Uh, and she's written a whole series of those books. They've been made into movies. And she was speaking at the Harvard commencement uh, one year, at the Harvard graduation. And she said to them, you might never fail on the scale that I did. But it is impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all. In which case, you fail by default. We fail when we don't learn. We fail when we coast and stop learning. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, I thank you, Lord, that your path for us is always that you want us to continue to grow. You've got great things for each and every person that's listening right now. You've got great plans for them in all areas of their life. Uh, and you are prodding them on to continue their growth into the person that you've created them to be, because the world needs that person. The world needs the blessing that you can offer the world, and um, Lord, we want to keep growing. We know that failure is painful. We don't like it. We shy away from it, but would you help us? Would you show us the areas in our lives that you want us to keep growing, and would you show us in the areas in our life where we have, maybe even through no intention of our own, stopped growing? We want more than ever, Lord, to, to do the work that you've called us to do. We, we, want to, we want to be face to face with you one day and hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You continued on to the very end, doing the work that I called you to do. Lord, if there are any of us listening, if there are any people out there listening that feel that they are a failure, would you show them that that's not from you, that that is not consistent with your voice, Lord God, that they are not a failure. They may have failed. They may have work to do in their lives, but you will show them the pathway forward. They are never at a dead end. There are no dead ends with the Lord. One word from you, Lord, creates an open door right in front of us. I pray, Lord, that your truth would permeate us, Lord God of who we are and what you've called us to do and how you see us, Lord God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.